I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Tonight I'm going to talk about uh, an aspect of the Holocaust that I think is um, only now becoming a really kind of growing field in, in, in Holocaust historiography and study. I was reading through Nicholas Fashman's brilliant book KL, which um, I've read uh, talked about on here many times before. Um, there was a chapter on the development of the gas chambers at Auschwitz. It's a well-known story um, about how in September 1941 in Auschwitz I, Russian soldiers were the first victims of the gas chambers. And reading through it, part of me wondered whether this actual aspect of, of looking at the Holocaust is in, in some ways gratuitous, is that the right word? Um, not to suggest that we should shy away from the really dark aspects of 20th century history. There wouldn't be much of a podcast to uh, to do if, if, if we did that. But it, it felt wrong. It felt um, that it wasn't, wasn't where this podcast should go because it's looking at really the, the kind of the mechanics of, of, of mass killing, which is, is easy enough to... To understand, and it, it felt almost sort of voyeuristic, and I didn't want to do it. 
So looking at the next chapter was something much more interesting. It's, it's quite um, revealing in a way when it looks at the, the, the motivations and the moral justifications of the perpetrators of SS men, what they thought they were doing. And the, the unpleasant truth is that people that commit acts of mass brutality invariably on some level see themselves on some superficial level see themselves as vindicated uh, one of the kind of in interesting i say interesting curious aspects of fascist thinking is the kind of consistency with which um fascists view themselves as actually history's victims that they you know awful things have been done to them and they're simply reacting in entirely justified ways to to try to save their civilization from the 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 uh, omnipresent threat so this section of the the book and i would urge anybody that wants to understand um nazi germany and uh, and, and the um system of mass repression before and during the second world war in a much more profound way. Get KL is a phenomenal book. Okay, so Nicholas Fashman writes, the mass extermination of Soviet POWs in 1941 to 42 turned hundreds of SS men, camp men, into professional executioners. Most were low ranking members of the commandant staffs who'd served in the KL since the pre-war years uh, KL obviously means the prison network, the prison camp network, and had long become used to terror and destruction. Several Sachsenhausen killers, for example, had earned their spurs as block leaders in the notorious um, in the notorious death squad. Men like Wilhelm Schubert um, had become a murderer long before he started shooting Soviet uh, soldiers in the neck. And yet, the mass extermination of POWs broke new ground. Even for the most experienced SS men, instead of occasional murders, they now participated in serial killings. Organised mass murder became part of the daily routine. Many camp SS men quickly adjusted to the new demands. Their self-image as political soldiers, the cornerstone of their collective identity, must have helped them to construe the killing of defenceless men as a valiant act of warfare against the Jewish Bolshevik enemy. It was their contribution to the war in the East continuing the Nazi campaign of extermination behind the barbed wire of the camps. So part of the kind of prevailing um, ideology uh, from literally from Himmler downwards is that the camps themselves were a battlefront in the Nazis racial war, just as war in the air or on the high seas or tanks rolling across the Russian steppe uh, were fronts in the war so was the camp because they were fighting. Uh, it was alleged or claimed a determined racial enemy, firstly in the, the guise of the, the, the Slavic Untermenschen, uh, the Russians, but more uh, profoundly the, 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 kind of the, the hidden hand of the Jews that appear in this sort of paranoid conspiracy theory Nazi mythology. Now, as a justification, it's a weak one, um, obviously, but it was enough to give um, poorly 
uh, motivated or poorly educated or poorly remunerated uh, functionaries, you know, middle tier um, uh, officers uh, and uh, non-commissioned officers, um, and it, to give them a, a sort of a uh, justification for what they were doing, um, to give them some kind of, of cover for what they were doing, to give them a sense that they were part of the, the, the glorious future of Germany. Such thinking was encouraged by widespread talk about Soviet atrocities. After the start of Operation Barbarossa, Nazi propaganda swamped the Third Reich with graphic reports about beastly Bolshevik crimes. Camp SS officers, too, told their men that Soviet commissars were savage insurgents and partisans, guilty of heinous crimes against Soviet soldiers, and praised the SS executioners for performing an important duty for the fatherland. The feeling that the Nazi leadership had entrusted them with such a vital mission must have filled many air camp SS killers with pride and a sense of purpose. Uh, the first uh, Soviet soldiers to be murdered, it was claimed, were commissars. But the chances of that are pretty slim because commissars weren't taken as prisoners. Commissars were um, executed on the spot. By which you know, I, I previously meant when the, the, the first Soviet soldiers to be uh, to be gassed at, at Auschwitz. It's unlikely that they were commissars at all. In addition to these ideological factors, the executions provided SS perpetrators with their biggest stage yet to impress comrades in the camp's theatre of cruelty. Participation in mass killings, which some SS men belittled as a shooting match, was seen as a test of character, and those who passed it without flinching received respect from their peers and praise from their superiors. Just as German Air Force pilots bragged to other soldiers uh, about the number of enemy planes they had downed, Camp SS killers would boast about the number of Soviets they had finished off. Some SS men also demonstrated their cold-bloodedness by mocking the dead and violating their bodies. What passed for, for SS humour knew no bounds of decency. On the Dachau shooting range, an SS moment grabbed a long wooden stick uh, and, and aimed a swing at the genitalia, genitals of a murdered Soviet prisoner, shouting to his colleagues, Look here, he is still standing. Other camp SS men, however, felt far less comfortable about the bloodshed. Some were scared of infection since Soviet commissars were widely suspected as carriers of dangerous diseases. SS killers in, uh, in the next shooting barracks wore protective clothing and cellophane masks. But despite these precautions, several of them contracted typhus, brought inside from the abominable POW camps. One block leader died as a result. A number of SS men harboured doubts about the righteousness of the whole operation. A Sachsenhausen official, who was not directly involved in the killings, warned that the Red Army would retaliate by executing German soldiers, a fear shared by some Wehrmacht officers. The mass murder in the Nazi camps was wrong, he told, he told camp elder Harry Naujox in the autumn of 1941, and he meant that the Third Reich had already lost the war, at least morally. Meanwhile, over at the shooting ranges and the execution barracks, several killers could not stand the carnage and fainted or broke down, just like some task force men in the occupied East. Others were very reluctant participants and tried to get out of the massacres after their superiors announced the roster of designated killers for the next execution. They reported late for duty or quietly stole away when the execution commando was assembled. <laughs>
So here is uh, an unpalatable truth, in a way, for um, audiences already very heavily versed in the, the rhetoric and the language and the history of the Holocaust, is that there were um, perpetrators who had all sorts of uh, different uh, beliefs, feelings, uh, about the legitimacy of what they're doing. Of course, by the time they are committing murders, that's all, all for the birds, really. And, you know, a murderer is a murderer is a murderer. However, there were SS men who, despite their uh, hatred, their racism, uh, their prejudice, uh, their xenophobia and their, their German chauvinism, looked at some acts as being morally beyond the pale. And that's a difficult thing to, to, to grapple with, because much as we rehumanise the, the victims, and there's like a huge body of work done in, um, particularly by people at the Holocaust Education Trust, we must also rehumanise the perpetrators, difficult though that seems. Uh, and these are people who had, you know, to our eyes, surrendered their humanity, and a great many had done but not all. And for many, yeah, that sort of spark of humanity, if you will, is very, very difficult um, to erase. And many um, were incapable of, of fully, fully losing it. Which, and there, there's all sorts of parallel stories about this during Stalin's purges of um, NKVD men um, who had to uh, uh, drink themselves to a stupor every single night um, after mass killings of prisoners, or NKVD men who simply went home and shot themselves out of the the kind of the the guilt and the torment of of what they had done and what they had become involved in. Nicholas Fashman writes, but it was a hard to do the right thing. The concentration camp was an inverted world where those who showed courage by challenging the murderous status quo were branded as cowards. Several unwilling executioners cracked under pressure from gung-ho comrades, with group conformity continuing to fuse SS camp men into a large criminal gang. Any hesitation was seized upon with alacrity by others. In Sachsenhausen, Wilhelm Schubert openly derided another SS block leader as a wet blanket for killing fewer POWs. SS men who tried to duck out altogether faced an even more mockery about their manliness, and often caved. In the end, their fear of shame was stronger than their fear of killing. Nobody wanted to be seen as a limp dick, one Sachsenhauser killer later conceded, using a relevant phrase. If social pressure was not enough, SS superiors brought reluctant killers into line. Only a handful of SS men continued to refuse. A few of them were probably excused, though punishment was another realistic prospect. Oberscharfuhrer Karl Minderlein, Karl Minderlein uh, a member of the Dachau SS since 1933, stubbornly rejected calls to participate in the executions. Following a heated confrontation between Minderlein and the Commandant, an SS court sentenced the disobedient SS man to imprisonment. He spent several months in solitary confinement in Dachau before being transferred in the summer of 1942 to a penal company on the Eastern Front. 
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Senior camp SS officials were well aware that numerous, yeah, that numerous killers struggled with their murderous tasks, reflecting general concerns by SS leader Heinrich Himmler that, the, uh, that his men might suffer damage when executing prisoners in concentration camps. In this case, in the case of Soviet commissars, uh, SS leaders could have, lim- um, have limited the circle of perpetrators by assigning a few expert executioners, as they would later do at the SS ga- uh, gas chambers. Instead, they often roped in as many men as the commandant staff from the commandant staff as possible. Almost all block leaders of the camp participated. A Saxon house, uh, Saxon house and SS man admitted after the war and their duties in the next shooting barrack rotated, as another killer testified. Each block leader did, at different times, shoot through the gap, play the doctor, clean away the blood and so on. In this way, the burden of the killings was widely shared, leaving many camp SS men with blood on their hands. They shared the complicity, bound, uh, they shared com- their shared complicity bound the killers ever closer together and made it harder to step outside the group. So, by making everybody uh, in the in the camp staff complicit, um, there was a, um, a, a, a an interesting, I guess, a, 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 an interesting sort of conspiratorial culture at at play. On some some level, it was you know implied that crimes were being committed here, that brutalities, that monstrosities were, were being committed. Uh, and yet it was also the, the kind of the countervailing thought is that these are necessary acts, that the SS are waging a war and they are essentially cleansing not just um, Germany and its occupied territories, but all of Europe. 
of Jewish Bolshevism, of these kind of imagined threats to European civilization. And there were, there's various accounts of SS men after the war saying was the effect of, uh, you know, in the 50s and 60s, when um, they were uh, exposed or um, in you know civilian life, they had jobs in government or banking or whatever, turning around to saying, you know, you judge us while well, we did this, you know, horrible but necessary job uh, and, uh, you know, didn't necessarily like it very much, but it had to be done for the the, the future of Germany and the survival of civilization and all, all this other stuff. Uh, and, of course, people will find all sorts of justifications for what they do. And it requires um, huge justifications in order to carry out mass killings. If one simply thinks of every justification uh, given by every state that wages uh, wages the kind of one of the colonial wars of the 20th century, for example, um, there are all sorts of supposedly moral reasons for dropping napalm on Vietnamese villagers, um, uh, dreamt up by by the perpetrators. Nicholas Fashman writes. To help the killers forget their grisly experiences, Camp SS leaders help regular, comrade, help regular comradeship evenings. After a long day of mass shootings in Sachsenhausen, the leaders would say, come on, let's grab some food um, and head for the SS canteen where delicacies like pork schnitzel with fried potatoes were waiting. Free schnapps and beer was even more popular. Alcohol had, alcohol had fueled outrages in the camps since the early days. There was always plenty to drink, especially for the younger, unmarried, rank-and-file men who spent much of their spare time in the canteen. On weekdays, alcohol was served at lunchtime and again in the evenings until late, and on Sundays the tap often ran all day. Not only was alcohol an enabler of violence, it helped deaden the scruples after the deed, just as Nazi murderers on the Eastern Front dulled their conscience with drink. So too did camp SS men who murdered uh, Soviet POWs. But some killers continued to struggle with their conscience, however hard they tried to silence it. The Sachsenhausen block leader Max Hohmann, who was known as a reluctant killer, once drunkenly asked a political prisoner whether he looked like a murderer. When the prisoner answered in the negative, Hohmann replied, but I am one, and unburdened himself about the shootings. Now, it's in this context that um, Richard J. Evans' essay in his book, The Third Reich at War, um, his uh, chapter, German Moralities, makes a lot of sense. Uh, Richard J. Evans argues that the Holocaust was, um, by you know, 1942, an open secret. I, anybody in Germany who wanted to know could know, but nobody did want to know. And the reason why anybody in Germany who wanted to know could know was for that exact reason, that there were people who had a need to talk about what was happening, a deep human need to express some sort of emotion, some sort of feeling, some sort of um, um, distress, some sort of uh, revulsion. In some instances, though, pride, pride about what was happening, 
and a uh, a desire to morally justify what was happening. Um, so the inability, the, the, the porousness of the Holocaust, the fact that so many people were involved, so many thousands upon thousands of people from train drivers uh, to station porters to um, housing uh, officials in cities where Jews have been uh, ghettoized, um, all the way through to um, SS killers at the camps, were involved and ha- and, and would would spoke speak about what they had seen. Sometimes um, they, their kind of jaws had been loosened by drinking. Uh, meant that very quickly all of German society knew. Uh, and at some point in the future, I will look into that that chapter because it is really, really, a really, really extraordinary piece of writing and places the Holocaust in in its wider social context, which is the for me the the really interesting bit. To lift the morale of their executioners, Camp SS leaders promised riches and glory to show their appreciation of the fatherland. IKL buses um, distributed a one-off payment in November 1941. The um, SS killers at Gorsorsen, for, uh, for instance, shared the tidy sum of 600 Reichsmarks between them. In the same month, the IKL um, asked their asked commandants for the names of all SS members involved in executions so that they could be awarded the military decorations. In the eyes of Heinrich Himmler, shooting Soviet POWs in the necks, gassing them, or giving them lethal injections merited an award for bravery. Um, the, the Kriegsverdienstkreuz, uh, second class with swords, an honour previously reserved in the camp SS for commandants. And so the, at the beginnings of the Second World War, actually not at the beginning, beforehand in the uh, 1938, Hitler talked about a racial war, a war without pity, a war without mercy. And this was the kind of war he's really talking about. The, not only the, uh, the kind of the hunger plan, the plan to uh, exterminate, the, uh, to, to starve 30 million Russians to death in the East, but a, a, a war of camps, of mass killings, um, and of kind of racial reordering. Um, and the, the camp SS are the foot soldiers in that. They are the people in the eyes of Himmler and Hitler that are going to build the new racial order. So they need to be rewarded for the hard work they're, they're doing. And the, in the, the kind of the fantasy version uh, of reality that both that the Nazis existed in, the, um, the killing of defenseless prisoners was not simply the killing of uh, of the, the, the defenceless. They, it was uh, waging war against what they viewed as, uh, or convinced themselves as a ruthless and implacable enemy that needed to be exterminated at any costs. But here is the kind of uh, racial logic and illogic of, of Nazism. Okay, so if you've been catching my Ukraine updates, I'll be doing another one next week. Um, I hope they're useful. Um, you can ca- find out um, uh, about any updates I'm doing at www.explaininghistory.org. Check me out there. Also, we are 
three subscribers on YouTube away from 1,000. It's the slowest growing YouTube uh, channel in history. But if you can go and do as a subscribe, we can hit hit that magic 1,000 subscribers. That would be awesome. And um, all contributions at Patreon, gratefully accepted. Anyway, there we go. Must finish now. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye-bye. On a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and three hundred and sixty-five day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.